This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Hello and welcome to Ask the Squiz, our special edition podcast to help squizzers with their burning questions about the referendum on the Indigenous voice to Parliament. I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. Second episode of Ask the Squiz, Claire. The questions keep coming in, which is awesome. What's interesting is we've got a lot of people asking the same sorts of questions. Yeah, so there's some themes that Mm. are emerging about what people want to know. Today we're going to get into the legal challenges, lots of questions about that, Uh, existing Indigenous bodies and also a bit of the nuts and bolts on voting again. I love the nuts and bolts of voting. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, we will remind you again at the end, but please do share this podcast with your people. We've all got to vote and we've got lots of the same questions coming in. So it sounds like lots of people are thinking about all this stuff and we should all feel as informed as possible. Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Our first question this week comes from one of the main claims from the No campaign about the voice proposal. It's something that opposition leader Peter Dutton has also talked about. It's come up a lot. Natalie, Jamie, Alex, John and Megan all asked about the risks of legal challenges to government decisions if there is a voice. Yeah. And look, it's a great question. It's one of the most hotly contested issues of this referendum and around the voice proposal. So let's start with the official no case and what it's saying. Uh, I'm talking about that booklet that was mailed to every Australian household. So in that booklet, it actually puts the words, the voice is legally risky as the number one reason that people should vote no. Yeah, right. So it's a big one for the no case. And you do hear no campaigners talk a lot about it being a lawyer's picnic. They've been quoting former High Court Judge Ian Callanan, who said he can see a decade or more, that's the quote, of litigation coming out out of this. Why is that? So the argument is because the voice hasn't been road tested, uh, that it would be the first constitutional change in nearly 50 years and it's going to be challenged in the court. So there is that. Just on principle, it's a change and there will be legal issues around it. Uh, And the no case is saying that once the voice starts giving advice to parliament, to ministers, to government departments at the federal government level, uh, the people who are affected by any decisions, they're going to start challenging any of those decisions in the courts if they don't like the outcome. So there's many, many cases, they reckon, that could be escalated to the High Court. Obviously, the yes case does not agree with this. One of Australia's leading constitutional lawyers, Professor Anne Toomey, she says the voice won't clog up the courts. Yeah, that's right. One lawyer on one side, Mm -hmm. another lawyer on the other side. Uh, What Professor Toomey argues is that there's no obligation on any institutions uh, that the voice would advise to actually act on that advice. Uh, She says that ministers or departments aren't obliged to consult with the voice before making any decisions as well. So Toomey doesn't see the grounds for these big constant challenges to land in the courts, particularly the High Court. Uh, She says that the no campaign has got it wrong on that. And lawyers are also saying Parliament can always respond with amending legislation if there are any issues with the way that the voice operates in practice. 
Next question. We've had a few of these come up sort of around the same theme. It's on the National Indigenous Australians Agency, the NIAA. Maureen, Amanda and Claire have asked for more information. Maureen asks if the fact that we've now got a proposal for a new body means that the NIAA has been a failure. Claire wants to know, not you, Claire, other Claire. (laughs) Claire wants to know the difference between the voice and the NIAA. Yes, other Claire wants to know. I've got the answers. (laughs) It's a chat between the Claires. (laughs) Exactly. So look, and Claire isn't alone if they haven't heard about the um, NIAA. Uh, It was set up in mid-2019, so it hasn't really been around for that long. It's an agency within the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet as well. So it's not a standalone department like health or education or defence. It was set up by then Prime Minister Scott Morrison. He came to an agreement with Indigenous leaders about the need for a big overhaul of the Closing the Gap targets and this is the agency that was set up to support those efforts. Yeah, exactly. So that tells you about the big differences with The Voice. The NIAA is an agency within the government. Uh, It's part of the bureaucracy and it's meant to advise the government but also implement policy. Uh, So its employees are public servants in much the same way as other government departments have employees. Right, whereas a voice would be a body that's independent of government and its representatives would be selected by Indigenous people themselves. Yeah, and this NIAA, it's by its own self-reporting anyway, has about 22% Indigenous staff, which is a big percentage Mm. when it comes to population standards uh, and other government departments, but it's not claiming to be a representative Indigenous body. Yeah, right. Okay. Going back to Maureen's question, she wants to know if the National Indigenous Australians Agency has been a failure. Look, I don't think anyone is actually claiming that it's been a failure. It hasn't been around long enough Mm, really to be a failure and it does have a very specific task, but we're certainly not really seeing big public criticism of its work. Uh, It's more that the no campaign is saying, look, we've already got an agency that's dedicated to Indigenous Australians and their outcomes and that's part, they say, of the reason that a voice isn't necessary. Thank you, Claire, for answering Claire's question. (laughs) A couple of quick process questions now. And Ian, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, but Ian asks, what impartial assistance will be offered to voters whose literacy is low to zero and who cannot actually write yes or no? And another Claire asks about the vote counting. Claire, are you submitting these questions? (laughs) (laughs) Next time I'm going to change my name. (laughs) Uh, Another Claire, a third Claire for today's podcast, has asked about the vote counting process for a referendum. Are we going to find out the results on the night just like we do an election. Yeah, believe it or not, they are two separate Claire's <laughs> who have submitted this question. Uh, and look, first to Ian's question about people who might need assistance to vote. The Electoral Commission is pretty well set up to support all Australians to have their vote. They do that at elections as well. So if you do have literacy problems, if you're not able to write yes or no, you can bring someone along with you on the day to actually help you do that. They can come into the polling booth with you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do that or you can't do that for some reason. You can still turn up to vote on the day and ask the polling staff to help you. Um, They're able to go into the booth and they will follow your instructions. And it's worth noting here as well that the AEC has a range of similar ways that they support people with English as a second language, people with low vision or blindness, dementia and a range of disabilities. So remember that polling staff that are there on the day, they're there to help you and they're trained to assist people. Yeah, they get that training. And also it's not just about what happens on that 
that polling day. There are mobile polling teams that go into mm. aged care homes, hospitals, prisons as well, uh, anywhere where Australians aren't able to actually get to a polling booth on the day or it's difficult for whatever reason. They need to ensure that all Australians have the opportunity to vote, so they will do that in the days leading up to the actual referendum day. Uh, on the next question about whether we'll find out the results on the night, the answer is if Anthony Green has anything to do with it, of course we're going to have a result. All hail Anthony Green. I don't want to think about what we're going to do when he retires. Uh, so how will that play out? What's Anthony going to tell us? Well, Anthony reckons, so let's just repeat it <laughs> here. Anthony. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that it should actually play out pretty quickly on mm. referendum night and that's because officials at polling places are just counting yes and no's. It's mm. not like an election where you have to exhaust a list of candidates, maybe one through to ten, and then actually get to the top two. So yes, no, one pile, the other pile, maybe a third pile for informal votes. Mm. Um, and actually that means that it will go pretty quickly, he reckons. So we should get the result on the night. The other thing to think about is smaller rural polling places, they'll be tallying votes really quickly. So in some places around the country we're going to get reporting results within an hour or so. Probably will take bigger metro polling places a little bit longer, but that's also similar to how it goes on election night. Yeah, a little bit longer. But if you're thinking about putting on a party for referendum oh, yeah. night, you don't need to wait until 11 or 12 o'clock probably to pop the champagne or have your commiseration drinks. <laughs> it'll probably be earlier in the evening, like seven, eight, nine o'clock. So it'll go through pretty quickly. And that's not the end of it. There are two counts to double mm. check the result. The counting process will be watched by scrutineers as well from the two campaigns. Uh, but if we don't get a result on the night, it means that it's very, very close. Yeah. And we will need to wait for things like the postal votes to come in. Exactly. Stand by. All right, that is us done for another week. A huge thank you for the questions, Claire, Claire, Claire and Claire. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. What is our team? <laughs> As I mentioned at the top, what we love to see about a few of you asking the same questions, we reckon that it means that a lot of you are out there with these kinds of thoughts and ideas, which means if you are listening, please do share this podcast with your mates. Yeah, exactly. If you're hearing things or you've got questions and you're just not quite sure exactly how that goes down, uh, shoot those through to us at hello at thesquiz.com.au or Larissa, there's a form. We'll have that link in the episode notes. We sure will, as well as a link to our resource centre where we're collating all of this information. We've got such great information on that page, summaries of the yes and no cases, a shortcut on the Uluru Statement from the Heart and a a lot of people are kind of going, what is that? I want to wrap my head around it. And lots of other stuff, as well as these Ask the Squiz episodes. So find the link in your episode notes or head to our website, thesquiz.com.au. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week.